didn't Solomon have like 700 wives and 300 concubines? And the answer is yes. There's no hiding it. Solomon was the wisest person in the world, yet he messed up. And in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4 through 10, I'm not going to read it, but it says that he had all these wives and concubines and it says that God wasn't happy and that he disobeyed God. His heart was far from God. Happened once he married in a way he shouldn't have, took foreign wives, and they brought their gods with them, pagan gods. And he built up not just the temple of the one true living God, but also temples for all their gods as well. And uh, needless to say, this didn't please God, and it didn't go well for Solomon. But some say he wrote this when he was older, and he learned from his mistakes. And so if we look at it through that lens, I think we have a lot to learn in this evening. Marriage is an institution. Marriage is an institution. Um, according to Scripture, God established three human institutions in the world. Marriage in the home, human government, and the local church. These three things God created for us to live in and to abide in. Now, out of all of these, the most important is marriage, the institution of marriage. Because from the home goes into the nation. It starts from the home. It starts from the family. And as goes the home, so does the church and so does the nation. That's why I believe Satan is attacking the family and attacking marriage because he knows that's where strong families start. He knows that's where God works and that's where God begins. Marriage is a union between one man and one woman. Now, in, in these times, we hear the argument something like this. Well, Jesus never spoke about homosexuality, so it must not have been a big deal to him. Jesus never talked about men marrying men and women marrying women, so it must not be a big deal, so then why are you focused on it? This is the hypothetical person that I'm putting out there. Well, one, Jesus did address marriage and homosexuality in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 19 where he talks um, about, you know, what, what God has put together. No man can, can, can separate. Um, he does talk about marriage. He does talk about the union between a man and a woman. Um, he's, he, he roots his teachings from Genesis chapter 2. Also remember this. Jesus is a member of the Godhead. Jesus is a triune God. He's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we try to separate the words of Jesus while he was on earth from the words of God in the Old Testament or of any other time, I mean, we're, we're breaking apart the Trinity. We're, we're tearing apart the fabric of this universe, really. You can't separate what Jesus says and what God said. Because if we start to tear away at the belief of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being one, then we have a much bigger issue than marriage and homosexuality in our time. So what God said, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit said, they're all one. Remember, the Bible is one story in all this, okay? What Peter says and what Paul says, what Jesus says, are just as valid in Scripture, all right? Because the Bible is one story. It's pointing to God. It's, it's uh, um, showing the heart of God. And all the disciples said that they were disciples of whom? Of Jesus. They taught what Jesus wanted them to teach. And so the Bible's one story. So 
someone comes and says, well, Jesus never said it. Well, yes, he did. And then God also said it. And the disciples were disciples of Jesus and nobody else. Um, we find that he actually does care about this topic. He cares about it a lot. And, you know, if we go down that same line of logic, by the way, of, well, Jesus never spoke about homosexuality. Well, then Jesus must be okay with pedophilia as well. Because Jesus never spoke about that. But we look through scripture and we see this is obviously not the case. So that argument, you know, that, well, it's not relevant to us today. It wasn't important for Jesus. It is very important for Jesus, for God, for the triune God, because God created it. Man and woman, he created them to complement each other and to be with one another. Marriage is a mirror. Marriage is a mirror. When, when I first got married, I had heard sermons that, um, you know, the husband should love the wife as Christ loved the church, and the wife should submit to her husband. And you hear it, but then when you actually get married and you have to live it out, to me at least, I realized how profound this was, how deep this actually was. That the way that I'm supposed to love my wife is the exact same way that Jesus loved his church. And then I thought about it more, and I said, wait a second. Everything that I'm doing in my marriage is a mirror of what Jesus is doing with his church. Because remember, he is the bride. We are the bridegroom. I'm sorry, we, we are the bride. He is the bridegroom. He's the husband, we're the wife, okay? <laughs> Make sure I get that straight. Get those words confused sometimes. So everything that happens in a marriage is simply nothing more than the relationship that Christ has with his church. It's a mirror image of what happens with Christ and his church. Since God is permanent, he designed us to have lasting marriages, not divorce. Since God is triune, he's three in one, he designed us for marriages of intimate companionship. Since God is three equal persons, he designed us for marriages in which husbands and wives are equally dignified. Since God's trinity is ordered, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, the Son and Spirit submit to the Father. He designed all human relationships, including marriage, with authority to be exercised lovingly and in a wise manner, without any implications of superiority or inferiority. So it's a mirror image of the relationship between God and His church and God Himself. So these are just a few things of, of marriage at, at at the very high level view, obviously we could spend the entire time talking about it, but, um, you know, I think there's only like two or three people here married, and so I'd be preaching, you know, to us, but it's good to know these things. It's good to know these things from the beginning. Many things that I'm telling you tonight, I wish someone would have told me before I got married. So, going down a little bit deeper into the family, let's talk about men. What does a real man look like? I see people pulling out their phones with the selfies. No, 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 hold on. I Googled this, okay? Um, just out of curiosity, right? What does a real man look like? And all the pictures looked kind of like this. Like a beard, you know, shave a little bit on the, on the side, a little up top. Um, and as I kept looking through the pictures, I'm not kidding, like more beards. And there were bigger beards. And you know, they stop smiling after a while because that's just not manly. And then, of course, black and white pictures. And then I was like, this is the ultimate man picture. Like, black and white, he, he, he's mad. He's like, he was smiling. He's mad. 
and his beard is like wrapped around his shoulder, right? <laughs> so this is the ultimate man right here. Long beard, no smiling, and black and white picture, just very, very serious. Um, a real man is a godly man. A real man is a godly man. A real man loves Jesus. When I first started driving on my first car, I bought a bumper sticker that said, Real Men Love Jesus. And boy, did I try to live up to that sticker that was on my car because um, it's a challenge, but it's the truth. Real men are godly men that love Jesus. What does this love look like? Well, loving Jesus means keeping his word. Proverbs chapter 13, with verse 13, says, Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Guys, do you study the word? Do you revere the word? Do you love Jesus enough to see what he says? Do you love God enough to look in his word and his holy scripture and see what he has? See the promises, his commandments. Loving Jesus means confessing your sin. Proverbs 28 with verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That's Proverbs 28 with verse 13. Men in general are very good at bottling up their emotions and keeping them inside until one day it just explodes. Out of nowhere, it comes out, you know, out of the ear, out of the eye, somewhere. And you're like, where did that come from? Well, you've been harboring everything on the inside. And especially if we harbor sin, that's poison. That's bitterness. That's something that will slowly kill us. And scripture commands us to confess to God and to talk to God. When you confess before God, it's not weakness. It's a sign of maturity. It's a sign that you've reached your limits as a man. And you're saying, God, I'm not strong enough. I can't even control my own emotions. How am I supposed to care for those in my family? Lord, help me. Loving Jesus means trusting the Lord, trusting Jesus. Proverbs 3, chapter 5, verse 6. And by the way, these, these are... For, for women as well, okay, but right now we're just looking at the angle um, of, of, of a man. Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trusting the Lord means giving up control, means surrendering. Means surrendering. And as a man, as a guy, oftentimes in our families, in our own lives, we want to have control of everything. We want to keep control of our finances, of our, of our, uh, um, of our comings, of our goings, of our jobs, of our uh, school. But God says, give those to me. Trust that I know better than you. To summarize it, you can't be a real man without loving Jesus, trusting Jesus, and confessing to Jesus. You can't. You, uh, if you love yourself, trust yourself, and keep everything inside, you're going to grow up to be a bitter, cold, heartless and loveless man and a husband and father. That's why it's important to start these things now, to start the practice of talking to Jesus now. A real man loves his wife. Again, these are things I wish someone would have said to me before. Not to love your wife, obviously, but, you know, talking about it a little more. Proverbs 19, verse 14 says, House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. It's Proverbs 19, 14. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. A real man doesn't take his wife for granted. A 
real man doesn't think there's just another step in his um, process of personal fulfillment here on earth. It's a gift from the Lord. You may get money from your mom and dad or a car or something from, from your parents' houses, as it says you're inherited from, from fathers. But a prudent wife, a godly wife, noble wife, comes from God. And men, remember to never take your wife for granted. To never think that, oh, God, now we're married. Now we sealed the deal. We signed the document. And whatever happens after now, you know, I can, I can gain all that weight I wanted to gain and uh, <laughs> eat whatever I want and say whatever I want and do whatever I want. And scripture says, as we said in the beginning of Proverbs, wisdom is yelling in the streets and screaming. In Romanian, they would say, pay attention. It's a gift from God. She's God's daughter. She's not for you to take uh, for granted. A real man loves and leads his wife. Um, we all know the passages from Ephesians 5 where it says that, you know, a husband must lead the family and, and the wife uh, needs to, to respect the authority that God put in that institution. Yet before we lead, we must first love. Before we lead, we must first love because without love, becomes a dictatorship. It becomes a relationship that's not mutual. It becomes one-sided, and that's not what God wants for us. A real man loves discipline. Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken and left without walls. Uh, a city that is open is vulnerable to attacks. A city that's open and a heart that's open is vulnerable to attacks from the enemy. And a real man knows how to stop himself from uh, um, pursuing uh, things that um, in the end bring about destruction rather than growth. Um, even food, sex, um, money, power, status, all these things that some of them aren't necessarily bad, but without self-control, they can become bad. And I just want to read a few things on here. I'm not going to list everything, but for example, in Proverbs 12, 15, I'm sorry, in Proverbs 3, 34, toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. Real man is disciplined when it comes to pride. Pride will bring about destruction in your personal life and in your family. Uh, Proverbs 10, verse 8, the wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. This means that um, a real man is disciplined with their mouths. They don't just say stuff. They don't put their family to shame. They don't go spreading things about their kids or their wives to others and their mouth is like a babbling brook. It's just constantly running. No, they have self-control. They realize that words matter. And in a few months, Lord willing, we're going to talk about the power of words and how we should be careful about what we say. Um, real men discipline their tempers. They discipline their tempers. Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Uh, what good is it if a man can conquer a city or a nation but cannot conquer himself? Cannot keep under control his own temper. And finally, Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Real men are not controlled by what other people think, but what God thinks about them. If we, think, if we care about what people think more than we care about what God thinks of us as men, 
we become trapped by their opinions and we start to please them and we get off course in our leadership as, as leaders of the family. We have to pay attention to what God wants us to do. All right, on to the woman. What does a real woman look like? I didn't Google any pictures on this. So I'm not going to show you anything, okay? <laughs> I was about to. I was like, what is it? I'm like, okay, wisdom's like, stop, okay. Because you don't know. You just don't know. And I don't want to preparing for a sermon here. I'm not trying to. Um, what does a real woman look like? Um, you know, looking through the book of Proverbs, and again, we're talking about the context of, of family, so we'll, you know, it's going to talk about more about what does, you know, a wife and a mother look like, but certainly not just that. But in Proverbs 14 with verse 1, for example, it says, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. I think that men have power in the family and, they, you know, they can do whatever they want. The wisest of women can build her house or tear it down. It's in her hands. You know, and the, the more I progress in my years of marriage, I see how my wife's the one that runs the house. Like, not just, um, not just with, like, the, the, the things that are going on in the house, the chores and the things that, you know, I help out with, but she does the, the child caring for the most part because I work and she's at home. Um, but I'll wake up in the morning and I'll realize that, you know, she's got so many things already in her head that I don't. And so I ask her, what's the plan today? <laughs> because she showed me a video one time. It was a, it was a, a, um, a TikTok and it, just, it had a... Like what goes through the mind of, not all women, but through this particular girl. She was brushing her teeth, and it was like, as she was brushing her teeth, it's like, go to the laundry room, go to the kitchen, go to the laundry room, come back. What was I doing? Where do I need to go? Go here, go there. And she's like, is this how you think, or is it just me? And I was like, I would go crazy if I thought like that. Um, men and women are different, right? Men and women are different, and God gives tremendous responsibility, tremendous, tremendous responsibility and power um, when, when, when that authority and that responsibility is respected within the institution of marriage and especially in the family. Of course, Proverbs 31 is, you know, the summary of, you could call it an ideal woman or a noble woman or a virtuous woman, depends on what translation you look at. Um, and a few caveats before we go into this chapter. You can find the descriptions of, of men in general throughout the book of, of Proverbs, really. If a man does this, then a guy does this, if a man does this. And it's kind of scattered throughout the 30 chapters. But here, we have a beautiful summary and a concise definition of a noble woman, of a virtuous woman. And it's a beautiful poem, really, because... It's called an acrostic poem, which means that every successive line begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So if it were in English, it might sound something like this. An awesome wife, A for awesome, who can find her? A blessed lady, B, who her, uh, her husband trusts her. A caring woman, C, a diligent worker, D. So it's not like that for us right now, but in the Hebrew language, that's how it's made. So this was actually something that uh, the men would say and the men would sing in, in Jewish tradition. And it was, it was something that was said to them from a young age. Because if you look at the context of this, this is the king's mother saying these things to him. Like, hey, 
It's not a woman to woman saying it. It's a woman saying to her son. These are the things from my experience, you know, in my age, in my older age, that you need to look for in a wife or a mother or a woman. These are the things that are virtuous and that really, truly matter. And certainly it doesn't talk only about, um, you know, being, being a mother or being a wife. In fact, half of the verses are just for, for women in general. Only four times does it mention a husband, and one time it mentions a kid. Oftentimes, or you might read online or some other places that this is what a mom looks like. And yeah, there are certain things in here. This is what a mother looks like. But you have to remember that you don't have to be married to fulfill these things. It's not a, oh, a checklist that I need to keep up with in order to get married. And guys, don't go around with a checklist and put it up to a woman and be like, um, nope, nope, check, check, nope, nope. I can tell you very quick, even if that checklist is full, she ain't interested, okay? That's, it's not a checklist, it's, it's principles, right? It's something that is, is, is from God for a virtuous and noble woman. And you don't have to, like, fulfill every single one of these things. These things shouldn't be a burden. They should be a guiding light, a principle. Um, um, again, uh, Paul wishes that everyone was single like him, right? Um, so obviously there are some people who don't get married. And the same words that is used to describe here a woman are the same words that is used to describe Ruth uh, by Boaz. And she wasn't married at all. She was destitute. She was broke. And yet Boaz, when he saw her, said, you are a noble woman. We all see your character. Right? And she didn't have any kids. She didn't, her worth wasn't because she had a lot of kids or because she was married. It's because she was a child of God. She was a woman of God. And she has character. A woman of God has character. Uh, just as wisdom is more important than wealth, uh, so character is more important than jewels. And we'll find this from um, chapter 31, verses 10 through 12. Julian, can I borrow your Bible? I left mine in my bag, and I've had everything in my notes so far except this. Thank you so much. We have the exact same Bible, by the way, so it's easy for me to follow along. So 31, chapters 10 through 12. An excellent find... An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Marriage doesn't change a person's character. It simply enhances, it simply enhances it. I want us to get out of this lie, out of this fallacy that, Oh, if I marry him or if I marry her, I can change him or I can change her. This is especially true for girls too, for women. Thinking they can change a guy after they get married. And he has so much potential. But as Brother Colleen said last time, don't get into a relationship for potential. Get in there for the character that's already there. Because everyone has potential. Everyone has potential to be godly, to be righteous, to be this. But look at what's already there. And marriage doesn't solve those problems. It simply enhances what's already there. Um, if the husband and wife trust each other, there will be more harmony in the home. And it says that her husband has no fears or suspicions because he knows that she is a wife of character and will not do harm to him or the children. There's harmony in that marriage. She isn't afraid to work. She isn't afraid to work. In verse 14 through 15, it says that she goes to the market for food. 
in verse 16, it says that she buys real estate. That, that's something I asked my wife to do recently. I was like, hey, honey, can you look on? It was funny because I was asking her about this, about, Psalm, um, about Proverbs 31, just to get her opinion. You know, like, hey, what do you think when you read this? And we came across this verse. And, like, right after we finished our discussion, she pulled up Zillow and, like, started looking at, like, houses and real estate and stuff like that. Um, I was like, look, you're doing it. She's like, stop. <laughs> Have my checklist. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, also in verse 16, she's, she's planting a vineyard. So point is, she's working both inside and outside the home for the good of her family, for the benefit of her husband, her kids, for the household. And with this, I want to I share a few thoughts and opinions on the work that women do because there are many different opinions out there. One of them is a woman shouldn't work outside the home. Okay? Based on what we just read, you know, they go out into the market, they find profitable things, they buy land. I mean, that sounds like someone who, does, who knows what they're doing. Yeah, I will say this. I will say this. I remember in my college biology class, I'm pretty sure it was biology, we had a professor who was a woman, and she was talking about how certain animals care for their children longer and kind of that process and how they care for their children and their offspring. And she said something very interesting to a class full of 200 students, most of whom were girls, were women. And he said, or she said, how many of you girls want to have a career? And all those, you know, everyone raised their hand. That's why they were there. And then she said, how many of you want children and to have a family? And pretty much all their hands stayed up. And she said something I never thought I'd hear from a public university. She said, for many of you, you might have to choose between one and the other. And like, it was silent in there. It was complete, I mean, I was quiet. I was like, did she just say that? Is she allowed to say that? She was an older lady, and she said, look, I'm just being realistic. For some of you, that might come into play. And it's a hard decision, but kids change everything. Children change absolutely everything. We have two young children. After the first child, you know, my wife was still working, second one. Like, are we going to pay a babysitter, like, more money than, like, we're making? Like, it, it just doesn't make sense. And so we took that decision. And this decision, every mother, every family has to go through. It's personal. There's scriptural basis for it. And there's scriptural basis for the women that work outside the home as well. And I'm saying these things not to discourage anyone or not to bring about any, any doubt. I'm just saying, you know, we're, we're all young adults here, you know, and it's coming a time where, that decision might take place, and it needs to be done in the family. It needs to be done with a wise husband. It needs to be done with grace. It needs to be done with what's best for the family, what's best for the family unit. By the way, my wife is much smarter than I am. She is, I would say, like, genius level. Like, she told me her SAT score. I thought she was, like, messing with me. I told her my SAT score. She thought I was messing with her, but for the other reason. She's like, how did you get into school? I said, they had pretty low standards when I was in school. So um, it has nothing to do with intellectual ability or how smart you are. Absolutely nothing to do. It's a personal decision in the family when children come in. 
and my computer has fallen asleep, so let me wake it up. Okay. A wise woman from the Lord is generous, is generous. In verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Um, I'll bring my wife in for an example again. She is much more sensitive to the needs of others than I am. Uh, she has this sixth sense, I would say, about like what's needed in, 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 um, in the, her relationships with her friends or her family. A few days ago, she was saying that she, she wanted to help organize her mom's kitchen. It's like, why? Like, how would you even think of that? It's like, well, I, I, I was watching her. I was looking at her. I was seeing what she needed and the things that, you know, she, uh, uh, the tools that she needed and the equipment that she needed, and I want to help her and organize. I see the need in it. And I said, your mom makes delicious food, so whatever you have to do to make it happen, yes, <laughs> you know. Um, but in all seriousness, she, she, just, she has that ability. And, you know, I think truly, you know, men don't typically have that gift, typically. Right? We're much more self-centered and at the front of things and want to uh, lead and do things on their own. But the natural gift that God has really given women, the power that he's given to women is one of, of nurturing, of seeing needs that we might be blind to. She's generous. She's a blessing to her husband. Verse 23 says, her husband is known at the gates where he sits among the elders of the land. Um, back in those days, the town meetings and the important things that would happen would happen at the city gate. And um, in this context, it's, it's a matter of uh, he's, he's able to do this and to be out there because she's a blessing to him, because she's, she's helped him in this position and he's respected at the city gates, and um, and his wife, as we read earlier, doesn't bring any of that, uh, um, you know, the gossip and the things that aren't from God into their family. Uh, remember that Eve was was created for for Adam. Eve was created for Adam. It's interesting. The only thing that was not good after the Lord's creation was the fact that Adam was alone. Everything else was good. The creation of Adam was very good. And then he saw Adam alone. He said, that, that's not good. I've given Adam a job. I've asked him to do things, but I see that he needs someone with him. And Eve was created for him. And again, this isn't a matter of superiority, inferiority. It's two people working together in harmony. Two people with complementing personalities, complementing um, traits that work together. Um, let me give you a quick example. I'm going to go up here to the piano and show you what harmony looks like. Because in the marriage, the husband and the wife should not look exactly the same. They don't have the same skills. They don't have the same personality traits. They don't have the same callings. Yet, if you are in a family that is not in harmony and things go out of whack, here's the husband, here's the wife, together, dissonance. Doesn't sound very good, does it? Or, this is the wife, and this is the husband. Dissonance. That's not harmony. It doesn't sound good. But how about this? God created Eve to help Adam. This is Adam. It's Eve. That's harmony. Throwing a kid. Just kidding. 
a perfect chord. It's harmony. That's God at work. He knows what he's doing when he creates marriage, when he puts these institutions together. And lastly, she fears the Lord. Verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. All these things that we've read about are good for a woman and wife, mother to have. But wisdom begins with fear of the Lord. Men and women. If you're at the stage of your life where you're considering marriage or looking at marriage, look first to God for wisdom. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to the other person. Don't take a checklist and go up to them and be like, check, 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 check. And constantly searching after the one right person that will fulfill you and complete you, yet you're not completely working on yourself. You know, why should someone marry you, you sorry thing? Right, guys? You're looking at, you know, this girl has this, this girl has this, she's not good enough for this, she, she's not good enough for that. And you're over here, you know, in your late 20s or 30s and have, like, just no aspirations whatsoever. That's not leadership. That's not something that a woman finds attractive. Not taking initiative, not being assertive. You know, they did a survey of why, why women at earlier ages, like in high school, why they like the bad boys. And all the guys are like, I'm a nice guy. Why doesn't she like me? Well, let me, let me, let me tell you, and this is like in general, okay? Those bad boys have their own issues they're assertive. They know what they want, or they at least go in a direction. Guys, do you know what you want? Have you sought the Lord for his wisdom, for his guidance in your life? And are you saying, Lord, I don't know everything, but I'm putting my, my plan into your hands, and let me be, whenever I'm ready, let me be in that area so that when a potential future spouse looks at me, she says, hey, it looks like, you know, God's working in his life, and he's getting it together. That timing is God's. That timing's not mine. It's not yours. We just have to do our part, work on our character now. Work on even things on earth here, material things now. And wait for God to do the rest. And ladies, you are daughters in the eyes of God. You are daughters of the king. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for a guy that gives you attention but has the complete wrong priorities. Or a guy that has potential to do great things, but he's a lazy bum. He doesn't like to work. Doesn't like to, I was, I was going to say get his hands dirty. I don't work construction, so I don't get my hands dirty. But I'm pretty good at the keyboard with Excel, okay? So, all right, my wrist hurts a lot from using the keyboard. So, okay. Um, don't sell it for less. Your heart should be so wrapped up in God's that a man has to go to God get your heart first. We don't have time to go over the other ones, friends and neighbors. We'll hold out for another time. I want to respect our time here, and we will um, look at this in another evening. I'd like for us to stand up in this time. And I want us to remember that marriage is from God. It's an institution, a union. 
one man, one woman, because that's how God created it. Complementary, in harmony, not to live in discord. Real men love Jesus. Real men confess their sins. Real men trust. Real men love Jesus. And a godly woman is from the Lord. Who can find her? She's prudent. She's of noble character. She's a daughter of the king. I'd like for us to close our eyes and I'll lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you are our Father. You are the one that has made us. You are the one that has instituted this, um, this thing called marriage, Lord. As we strive, as, as, as many of us here strive for that union, for marriage, give us wisdom, Lord. Let's live a wise life. My prayer for, for them, Lord, is to seek you first, to seek your kingdom first, and everything else will be given to them, Lord. Help them stay pure, focused, not just um, focusing on other people or on their faults, but working on themselves and on their character, Lord. I thank you for the wisdom that you've given to us, Lord, and I bless your name, and I pray that next we meet, we go over the rest of these topics, and we, we, we figure out how to live a wise life with, with our friends and with those around us, with the neighbors, and Jesus, if there's anything left unsaid here tonight, I pray that you send your Holy Spirit to fill in the gaps and to teach us as we move on. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen, and amen.